Hello everyone and welcome back to Indie Active Site, the podcast where you meet the brightest minds in the fields of biocatalysis and biotransformations. My name is Christoph Winkler and I present this podcast together with my colleague Matthias Pickel. We are both scientists in the Elk Growing Graz who will host the upcoming Biotrans 2021 conference. Today we have a guest who seems to have his fingers in almost any aspect of biocatalysis, including enzymology, structural biology, crystallography, synthesis and many more. Welcome Professor Gideon Grogan from the University of York. It's nice to have you here in the active site. Yes, thank you for inviting me. Nice to meet you both. Hello again also to you, Matthias. Hello Christoph, it's great to be here again. So Gideon, you did your PhD studies uh, with Dr. Andrew Willett and Professor Stanley Roberts at the University of Exeter, working already back then on bio-villiger uh, monooxygenases. Yes. So maybe just a quick question because I'm curious, what was your undergraduate background? Was it more focused on biochemistry or on organic chemistry? Yeah, so my, my degree at Exeter was called Biological Medicinal Chemistry and uh, it was the first year they'd run the course. So, so actually we studied a lot of organic, we did most of the chemistry that the chemists did, but also we did microbiology, um, some enzymology, some biotechnology as well. So I had a, a practical experience of organic synthesis right through to microbiology and enzymology. So it, it set me up very well for uh, uh, choosing biocatalysis as a, as, 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 a, as a research option for PhD. Yeah, I can imagine. Also, your postdoc position in the labs of Sabine Flitsch uh, was then, I guess, uh, uh, filled with biocatalysis. And uh, back then, uh, she was at the University of Edinburgh. Yep. I think this was the start of a long-going collaboration between you and the Turner Flitsch uh, lab as well. Yes, very much. Uh, so, um, when I was looking for a postdoc, I, I, I mean, I, I, I had done mostly microbial enzymology in my PhD, so really not much synthetic chemistry. So of course going to work with Nick and Sabina gave me the opportunity to learn, to go back to organic chemistry and do some of that, but also to, to start learning about molecular biology and uh, simple aspects of gene cloning and mutation, which, um, which I hadn't actually done before. So it was a very valuable learning experience to be in that group. And of course that group allowed you to do both of those things essentially in the same building. So it was a very nice place to go. Um, we mentioned at the beginning that your portfolio of methods is quite interdisciplinary, so you're well equipped to do many experiments on your own. What is, in your view, uh, that makes a collaboration fruitful uh, that goes beyond uh, sharing methods? Well, I, I think it's fair. To, I mean, we do do a lot of things. That, as I said, I think my background's kind of set me up to, to, to do quite a lot of things, but we don't do everything. So we have a lot of nice collaborations in things like... Um, uh, sort of metagenomic screening, and this is something we're not set up to do very well. We certainly don't do any process biochemistry, so if we find a nice enzyme, we, we work with other people to try and scale those reactions up. So, so we certainly have to collaborate on some things. Um, I think for other collaborations, when I first arrived at York, I had never done structural biology before, so I mean, I learned this here, and of course, many people in, in the biocatalysis community didn't have ready access to this. So I had a lot of contacts already. So, so having structural enzymology was, was great because it meant I could work with a lot of collaborators who would send enzymes and, and we could work together and we would do the structures. So most of our collaborations are where we've done the structural enzymology. So in that sense, the methods aren't shared. However, there are, of course, other collaborations where we have where 
experiences are quite similar. But of course, you always bring different ideas. So, so, so that, that's always a very nice aspect of collaboration. Following that um, position at the uh, lab of Sabine Flitch, you obtained a lectureship uh, at York in the year 2000, where you went the classic route, becoming a senior lecturer, leader, and finally a full professor in 2014 in the uh, YSBL, the York Structural Biology Laboratory. During your career, you mentored a high number of students. The ones we met before were always full of positive things to tell about your way of mentoring. Could you give us an insight how you work in your group? And uh, for example, how interconnected are the different groups in your institute? How big is your group? And is this positive climate in your group that we were told about something you actively promote? Well, structural biology at York is quite a large uh, uh, sort of research institute of a kind, although it's in, in, in different places in the building. But we, we're a group of something like 10 to 12 principal investigators with uh, people ranging in expertise from structural entomology through to cryo-electron microscopy and computational methods and lots of things. Um, but for, for many of the, of the wet lab principal investigators who work on proteins, uh, the, the front end of the projects is quite similar. So we all do cloning and we all do mutagenesis, we all do crystallization and protein purification and, and, and protein assay and things like that. So that does mean we're in a very good position to be able to share uh, techniques and to share equipment and to share expertise. So when new people join, they really do get a, uh, they are find a very welcoming, um, diverse community of scientists ready to help. So as I say, as a research group, it's anything between 60 and 90 people, I would guess, particularly when we have the uh, sort of master's projects um, in that kind of thing. So in my group, we're typically about 10 to 12 people, um, PhDs or postdocs. And uh, then on top of that, we welcome undergraduate project students every year. So we, we, as everybody does, we fit some of that in as well. Erasmus students and visitors, that kind of thing. So it's, it's around about that size. So I'm very pleased that, the, that you have some nice positive comments about the mentoring. Uh, yes, I, I think that's important. I, we do certainly try to create a positive environment for students. Um, I think uh, uh, sharing uh, uh, sort of success, and, but also failures is very important. I, I think when people uh, fall down, it's very important to work with them, to work out what the problems are, and we all do that together. So, uh, yeah, we, we share all the input where that's concerned. Yeah, of course, we had some knowledge because also some of uh, our colleagues went to your lab. Yes, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so one question we are of course uh, always interested uh, with uh, long members of the biocatalysis, commu biocatalysis community. Uh, where was the first Biotrans conference you attended? Uh, would you share some memory with us? Yes, well I'm sad to have missed the first one in Graz in 1993. Uh, was I, I was first year PhD then, so I think I, yeah, I, I didn't go to that one. I, I went to the Warwick one in 1995 and of course this was easy to travel to and uh, <laughs> less expensive, so, so, but that was the first one I went to. Uh, what do I remember? Uh, well, I, I, I mean, when you're beginning your PhD, you're quite focused, and I, I think you know I didn't, I wasn't really prepared for the amount of lipase talks, uh, carbohydrate enzymology talks, uh, nitrilase talks. I mean, this really was, these really were the major topics of of, of discussion at that meeting, um, and I had no experience of those, so it was very, it was very good to, to start to learn about all those things. And I remember, I, I, I remember epoxide hydrolases were the really big thing at that meeting because Kurt and uh, Roland Furstos had just started working on these things and Roland gave a nice talk 
Um, so, so, and I was actually work, uh, about to work on that as a postdoc. So um, it was great to see that happening. But, but really, it, 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 was, it was kind of pre-molecular biology for a lot of groups, you know. So a lot of the stuff there was still bought lipases and, and, and wild-type microbes. And, and, and uh, yeah, every, everyone thought, yeah, epoxide hydrolases were the next big thing. Yes, the topics changed over time, and uh, I'm quite curious what the kind of theme of the upcoming biotrans will be. For the first scientific question, let's go back to, I think it was one of the first enzyme classes you worked with, uh, monoxygenases. Yeah. So you worked with uh, both cytochrome P450 monoxygenases and also flavin-dependent monoxygenases. Uh, for the cytochrome P450s, there is a nice recent paper from your group uh, on the family of CYP153. Uh, so, if you ask around the biocalytic community, people either hate or love cytochrome P450s. What is your take on these two enzyme classes? Um, well, P450, yeah, we'd, we'd um, uh, love to hate them <laughs> uh, the, and, and the other way around. So, uh, I, I, I find them a really fascinating uh, P450s because of the diversity of, of reactions they catalyze, really. It's fascinating for entomologists to work on because, you know, they're quite complex. And... Um, but really, you know, I think all the engineering work that goes on now is is, is fascinating and, and is, it is un unveiling or enabling a whole lot of new activities to happen with P450. But I think one of the most important questions is to, is to put these things to work. And, and uh, you know, it's nice to see, actually there was a recent paper by Bert Nadetsky in Graz and, and also work from DSM where people are really trying to start addressing how gram scale and kilo scale uh, reactions using recombinant P450 can be done because you know using wild type organisms it's well known you can do these at scale but but to use recombinant enzymes so it's nice to see those things happening because I think a lot of the engineering for specificity goes on underneath that that needs to be taken forward to the process stage and as I say it's good to see those questions being asked um, yeah I think flavin monoxygenase is not really comparable because they tend to do different things there are some nice hydroxylases of course uh, I think peroxygenase is very interesting, you know, I think for scalability. So I think actually in, in many ways the comparison of P450 and peroxygenases as hydroxylation catalyst is a better one. Um, but, but by no means are, are problems with either of those enzymes solved. Well now let's switch to uh, enzymatic reaction that uh, has been around a bit longer or it has been um, raised to a higher scale uh, already quite early, which is uh, amidation. So you've uh, worked on aqueous amidation reactions, and I was curious how you see this system or the system you worked on compared to the pretty established um, uh, amidation in organic media, which is done with biocatalysts. Uh, your system is an uh, ATP-dependent uh, system, and you used uh, an ATP recycling system, um, which is also an interesting fact because um, now the number of papers using such ATP recycling systems is increasing. So maybe as a second question, do you consider this uh, issue of um, ATP recycling uh, solved? No, I don't consider it solved. The, um, <clears throat> the issue of amidation that you bring up, I mean, I, I see all of these things as complementary. I mean, you know that in all enzymatic reactions, we like to see a toolkit of biocatalysts developed. And if I speak to colleagues in industry, they tell me, they not only want to see uh, lipases and acylases used for uh, amidations in organic solvent using largely esters as a substrate it has to be said um, but they're also interested in using acids and amines to form amides in in aqueous solution and one of the attractive things there is of course the stoichiometry you know you can use one-to-one -one equivalents of the two 
participating partners there. So I very much see all these things as complementary. Um, as an entomologist, of course, it's more interesting to work on something newer, which is the ATP ligases. Um, you know, but I don't suggest we, we're going to use them at scale tomorrow. Um, for ATP recycling, no, it's not solved at all, of course, because I, I think it's very interesting that you know recently we've seen uh, many more interesting reactions that are dependent on ATP come to the fore. So ATP recycling has become an issue for people, but now you have cars and so on that need ATP recycling. So I think, no, I don't think it's solved. But I, I think when we start to see standard industrial processes adopting, adopting this in the way that they've adopted nicotinamide cofactor recycling, I think you might say that it's uh, uh, not a problem. But, but right now, no, it still needs a lot of investigation. Um, in a recent paper, you worked on the mechanism of a linalol dehydratase, uh, which is an enzyme that is able to do several different reactions, including a dehydration reaction or the reversed uh, hydration reaction, um, and also the isomerization of hydroxyl groups. Can you tell us about your approach to elucidate an enzyme mechanism using this example? Yes, well, LIND is very, very complicated. It, 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 uh, it has uh, uh, three substrates and uh, uh, the reactions go either way. <laughs> so it's very, very difficult to deconvolute. And, and I don't think we've pretended to do that in our recent paper. Uh, what I would say is we try and take one question at a time. So, um, you know, we do the obvious experiments and the obvious experiments sort of determine the structure, uh, uh, preferably to determine the structure in the presence of a ligand. And then this allows us to isolate minor acid residues that we can at least mutate simply and look at obvious effects on catalysis and turnover and uh, affinity and um, also stereoselectivity sometimes. And um, if you could do those experiments and, and, and you can target your questions, then I think one question at a, at a time is, is really the way to think about it. And of course, you never uh, claim to have solved the whole thing in the end. All you've done is made a contribution to the understanding. And, and hope to carry that work on. I think modeling has been very useful there, particularly uh, we did some work with, with, with uh, Sylvia Asuna on, on that and, and that was really helpful in uh, demonstrating whether uh, uh, some of our um, hypotheses about that mechanism were credible, but really the structural and the mutational and the modeling work have to go together. It's important to consider those uh, all, all at once and, and make, uh, make small steps every time. Christoph and I were recently discussing names of enzyme classes. Yeah. Inorganic chemistry reactions are often named after the key inventor, which often makes their names quite complicated. Enzymes, on the other hand, are mostly named after their function. However, often different names are used for the same class, as for example, KREDs or ADH, transaminases or amine trans transaminases or omega transaminases, or uh, uh, more recently, reductive MNAs or imine reductases or imine dehydrogenases even. All of them catalyze chemically similar reactions. As you experienced with all mentioned enzyme classes and are an expert especially on the mechanism of the mentioned uh, imine forming enzymes, what is the system that you prefer? Naming after the catalyzed chemical transformation, mechanism, structural similarity or after sequence similarity? It really depends who you're talking to, Matthias. The, if you're talking to a, 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 between entomologists, I think it's useful to define things by mechanism. But I think in biocatalysis, one, one, one of the features of this area of applied science is that we're always trying to sell the catalyst in a way to the organic chemistry community. And, 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 and you know, we, we always tell undergraduates that enzymes are, are, are easy because they're called after what they do. Yeah, and, um, and, and so when we're selling it to a 
a community of people less well experienced in enzymology, I really do think that terms like Diels Alderays, Pictet Spengelarays are very, very useful because they literally describe uh, the, the reaction that is done. So, as I said, I kind of think it, it depends who you're talking to. Um, but, um, you know, the time to, to talk about mechanism with people who have less experience is probably later. But if you say Pictet Spengelarays, then, then an organic chemist will know what you mean. Yeah, that's, uh, that's actually a, a good thought. Uh, you're the author of a book that I keep in my office and often recommend <laughs> to stu uh, students. Practical Biotransformations, a beginner's guide. Publishing a comprehensive book, especially a textbook, often impacts a researcher's career. Tell us, how did you get the idea of writing this work and what uh, was uh, its impact on your work? Yeah, so uh, the reason uh, I always wanted to write it was, was I would uh, often get asked a lot by people, particularly in the organic chemistry community, uh, how do you get started doing this stuff? And um, while there were excellent textbooks available on, on biocatalysis, particularly, you know, Kurt Farber's book, um, the, um, there was no actual guide to actually walking into a laboratory and starting these experiments. And the kind of questions I was being asked were, how do you know where to look for the genes? How do you know what organism you might begin with to uh, do a reaction? Uh, how do you inoculate cells into medium? And, and, and these really were things that, or how do you assay an enzyme? And these things were not covered in the more academically based uh, textbooks that cover the literature. And, and so really what I was interested in doing was, was, was writing a manual where someone with no experience at all of, 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 of microbes or enzymes or genes uh, could read a little bit about how to walk into a laboratory and get started. Um, it's quite an undertaking, a book. It, it's about 100,000 words, so it takes a lot of time. So it is quite a commitment. I was lucky to have very good people at the publishers and um, a, a, a guy in the department to take the photographs. It was very helpful. Um, but one, once I kind of knew what, what I wanted to say, it was actually quite easy to write. What, what, once the structure of the book was okay, I, I wrote it quite easily. And then, and then it's just a matter of putting it together. So I'm glad. Thank you very much for saying I have a copy. Uh, it's, it's quite niche. So, I mean, it didn't really change my career as such. I mean, it's, it's kind of a text for postgraduates. Uh, but having said that, it was very satisfying to write, and if it's if it's helped anybody or or inspired them to take up the technology, then then I'm very happy. It's a bit out of date now. Uh, you are an uh, invited speaker at the upcoming Biotrans 2021 conference that will be now held fully online. Can you share some spoilers about your lecture with us? Oh, a few, yeah, probably. Uh, so, uh, uh, amidation is a really big area for biocatalysis now. I, I've noticed this, and, and there's some really great papers coming out from people uh, engineering various kinds of enzymes to make amides. You know, I always make the point at the beginning of papers that amides account for about 20% of industrial chemical synthetic reactions and always feature at the top of the list for uh, companies wanting biocatalytic solutions. So I'd, I'd hope to review a little bit the, the, the area of biocatalytic amidation and where we are and what the advantages and disadvantages of all these these complementary enzymes in the toolkit are um, and then move on to talk about the ATP dependent enzymes and what's good about them and what's bad about them uh, we have some stuff on structure so we can talk about how how the enzymes that we that we use work and also putting them to work so trying to do uh, uh, modest uh, scale reactions in in, in um, amide bond formation focusing on the ATP ligases as I said that sounds quite interesting I'm looking forward to that Thank you. Um, now we come to our quick questions, so I ask yes. you just for short answers. What is your favorite enzyme or enzyme family? 
Well, that changes definitely. I I, I quite like enzymes that uh, obviously they're quite new mechanisms, so so they're, they're more interesting to look at for us uh, for for the structural and, and enzyme discovery aspects. Uh, I quite like uh, tiltoglutarate enzymes are really interesting at the minute. Uh, every time you read uh, papers, there's uh, 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 someone has found a new reaction that, that, that can be performed by alpha ketoglutarate dependent oxygenases. Uh, and of course, they're very famous for hydroxylation, mm -hmm. but the range of reactions that people describe for those now is fascinating. Uh, so I like writing about those a lot of them. What do you expect from a good paper? Oh, uh, uh, for me, the, the best papers for me uh, have a genuinely novel observation. So, uh, you know, if they're, they're the most fascinating ones. If someone really describes something new you haven't seen before. Mm -hmm. And of course, they need the data to back it up. So, I mean, you know, ha having all those features together is nice to see in a, in a paper. So, so I, I guess those would be my favorite kinds of papers. What is a scientific no-go for you, either in a paper or in a talk? I know, no, no. Uh, <laughs> I think that's for uh, referees really uh, to say what, yeah. what is and isn't allowed. I have to say that I, 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 structure is a bit of a thing for me. So if if you see people present crystallographic data, I like that to be uh, right. So so I do look at that and like to see that people uh, 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 have their statistics correct and uh, uh, present the uh, electron density for evidence of ligands, that kind of thing. So yeah, I I, I do like to see some so that the crystallography data is right in a paper about. Uh, that includes crystallography. Maybe. Um, what was either the nicest or the worst review or comment you ever got? Uh, I don't remember. Actually, fortunately, each of those kinds of comments is kind of short. So, so if you get a rejection or a very easy accept, but also they're not very helpful. So uh, you know, if you go, if you have a paper and no one says anything, uh, you, you're not really left any of the wiser. So actually, by far the majority of referees are very, very constructive mm -hmm. and, 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 and write you half a page or more about how you can improve the paper. So, so I prefer this, this is much better. But no, I, thought I, I was never on the end of a really horrible remark or anything or, uh, no, uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I, I like a longer review, so it makes me think about the work. How do you spend your time when you're not thinking about science? Oh, uh, uh, pretty ordinary. I, I, actually, um, we live in a very nice part of the world here in Yorkshire. If you've never visited, I recommend that you, you visit. It has lovely countryside and a beautiful coastline. So we like walking around there. Mm -hmm. That's a nice thing to do. And the last question. Uh, I know you have been to Graz before. Um, unfortunately, we cannot meet this summer here in Graz. But still, what can you recommend to people visiting Graz for the first time? Well, Graz is a very beautiful city. I certainly recommend uh, that people will visit when they can. You get a very warm welcome from the uh, Wolfgang and Kurt and the Biophotalysis community there. Um, I seem to remember going up the Schlossberg a couple of times. That was really nice. So if you, if you go up there on a nice evening when it's sunny and you can have a nice meal because there's a couple of restaurants up there and you get a good view. So I used to like doing that. And I hope when I return to Graz, I can, I can do that again with, with some of you. Well, Gideon, thanks a lot for joining us and for sharing uh, your research. And um, I'm looking forward to meeting you online this summer then at the meeting. It's been a great pleasure, both of you. Thank you very much for asking. And I look forward to the meeting very much. Goodbye, Gideon, and goodbye, everyone, also from my side. Thank you all for listening again to this episode. Let's meet again in two weeks in the active site when we meet the next person who will have a lecture at the Biotrans 2021. As always, 
we are grateful for any feedback or questions you send to us. Contact us either via the Biotrans Twitter account or send us an email. Yeah, actually, we uh, have now a big influx uh, of undergraduate students in our lab. And uh, what is uh, very uh, nice to notice is that they are actually a little bit like uh, raw diamonds, uh, which uh, still need some, some uh, shaping. Uh, but uh, you can see how their interests are uh, uh, forming out and uh, what they are curious about. And uh, that's, that's very nice to see too. And uh, you could see all the bright future for, for all of them. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons by license, which allows rework and redistribution as long as credit is given and any adaption is licensed under similar terms.